Alright, here's something a bit different. I was over in Rarotonga in the Cook Islands and so over there is part of a VCA excursion and VCA is who I am doing the fellowship through. So they got me to go over there and get to learn a little bit about the music and culture and it was a good opportunity to sit down and have a chat with one of the people that ran a bit of a drumming workshop for us. So the day after the workshop I got to sit down with him in a nice little seaside bar and talk about Cook Island drumming. So he's definitely worth checking out. Uh, his name is Mark Short and he travels around the world with his Cook Island drumming and, and he has these amazing daughters that <laughs> win all these competitions in Cook Island to the point where they don't compete anymore because no one can beat them. So great man to get a good insight into the culture there and how the drumming is a part of the contemporary landscape with the tourism and and there's a bit of an insight into the Cook Islands itself which is quite an intriguing place. So I hope you enjoy this visual mob with Mark Short. Yeah, cheers, thank you. It's, it's, a, it's an honour. Every time we get an opportunity to share our culture we don't mind doing that because we are so isolated from the rest of the world that the more people that know about our culture, you know, it's like a, an honour and a privilege for us. So, uh, thanks for asking. So, first of all, how did you become a drummer? Well, we weren't actually taught. Um, it's just a natural occurrence when you live in the Cook Islands. Uh, everyone is involved in some way or other in culture. You know, when there's uh, all our schools have like a festival competition every year. Uh, when we have our big uh, constitution celebrations, we have all the islands in the Cook Islands that come together. They all fly to Rarotonga, some of them come by boat. And there's like uh, three weeks of intense competition. But in, uh, before that, prior to that, a lot of the, the islands have been practicing for four or five months. Uh, so, you know, I suppose to get bragging rights, but it's a huge competition that has been going on for over 50 years. So uh, you learn when you're at school, you learn after you leave school because you know it's part of the community a lot of fundraisers involved drumming you know uh, it's basically to get the attention of people so that they can hear the cause so uh, sport uh, sporting teams that don't have the funds to travel overseas uh, often they ask us as drummers to help them so we'd get a bus and we'd drum around the island and people will come on the road and give money yeah, wow. so it's just a form of a fundraising so it's it's entrenched in our culture really so how are traditional songs passed down uh, a lot of the songs are initially learnt in church. You know, we all went through the system whereby you, we obviously joined Boys Brigade or Girl Guides. Uh, you joined the, the Sunday School Youth Choir or uh, church group. And so we all go to church. I mean, in, in the, the 80s, 90s, you know, a lot of the young kids had to go to church. They had no choice. You know, Christianity is, is one of the things that is in, uh, embedded in the Cook Islands culture now. You know, and uh, in fact, no one used to work on Sundays. That's how religious this island was. But over time, of course, you know, people have slowly moved away from that. Uh, but we started singing in church and then in school, you had to learn school songs. Uh, they would often like uh, compose songs, uh, you know, for festivals again. Uh, even when we had teachers that arrived from overseas to teach, we'd always welcome them with a song or with a chant. We'd do a little item just to make them feel at home. But we're always creating items or uh, f uh, cultural items for all sorts of events. So we started quite young. Now, a lot of kids have to go through it, whether they like it or not, they have to dance. If they're not dancing, they're making costumes. If they're not making costumes, they're drumming. And in those days too, we had to even carve our own drums, you know, so, you know, every, everyone was involved. The sad thing today that I'm finding is that a lot of our young kids, uh, a lot of our young kids, uh, it's, it's optional now. Mm. Uh, whereas in our day, you had to do it. You know, your parents uh, made you do it, the teachers made you do it. They had a lot more control. Now there seems to be a lot more independence with the uh, kids and they have their own minds. So, you know, social media, I believe, has also been a major influence. Mm. You know, instead of wanting to, to fight to be the best drummer or dancer or, you know, uh, the best person to carve the, the, the drums or parties, as we call it, 
Galileo wanted to emulate these gangsters from the US. Yeah, you know, yeah. with the bandanas and the hand signals and trying to learn the rap music, which is really sad. Yeah, I definitely noticed that back home as well. I guess it can be hard for traditional music to compete with million dollar productions by superstars, which unfortunately, it's a long way from culture back home. I suppose the, the interesting thing though that I've, I've noticed is that a lot of Cook Islanders that live in Australia or New Zealand, uh, they're hungry to learn. And I think it's as a result of, uh, of being away from, from home, mm. being away from the culture that they are so hungry. And the reason I say that is because I've traveled to, to New Zealand and Australia. In fact, one of our cultural groups, we toured Australia. We actually did a show at SeaWorld. You know, so we went around and it was a fundraiser to, to raise funds for a community hall that was to be built in Auckland. And uh, I noticed that wherever we went, the Cook Island families would come. They obviously can't speak the language, but you know, they really you know, they, they want to, to, to learn. They're always asking, like, what technique do you use for this or for that? You know, and, and, and I found that encouraging. So maybe you have to lose your culture to, to want to learn it. And, and I know that that's what happened to New Zealand because they lost their language. And as a result of that, about 30 years ago, they set up the Kohanga Reo, which is like a Maori immersion school where they start learning young. And it's only, they only speak Maori, the Maori language. Maybe we have to go through that, but I can see us getting to that stage in the next, say, 10 years. So how close is the Aotearoa Maori language to the Cook Island Maori? Very close. Uh, we can understand them. Uh, they can understand us. In fact, uh, tradition goes that uh, the seven canoes left from the village of Natangia, which is the village next to where we did our, our performance yesterday. If you go opposite the church, you'll see the seven rocks. And where that passage is, that's where the seven canoes left. And a lot of those canoes went to New Zealand and they settled around New Zealand and set up the different tribes. So when a lot of people from New Zealand come to, to Rarotonga, the Maoris come, they always go to visit that site. It's a yeah. huge tourist uh, uh, site for them to check out, yeah. So the Tahitians have a culture of drumming as well. What are the similarities and differences between their drumming and here? Very similar. The Tahitians and us, uh, like when we meet up overseas, they often ask us to drum for them, you know, because, you know, obviously it's quite expensive to send a whole team across, so they normally only send maybe three or four drummers. So what we often do is when we meet up, say, in Japan, because I've been on a lot of these trips to represent the Cook Islands overseas, normally to do promotions about the cooks, but they often ask us if we can help them out. So we'd always drum in their dance and, and we just merge in. It's like a glove, you know. Very, very similar. Uh, the only difference really is, is slight uh, differences in technique. The dancing is very different. The drumming is very different. Uh, but they're just amazing singers. You know, I would say that if we were to compare the strengths and weaknesses between the Cook Islands culture and, and Tahiti or French Polynesia, you know, the French Polynesians, it's like a, a full-time job for them. They get paid to perform for the hotels. Whereas over here, you, you can't do that. You know, we only just perform maybe once a week or twice a week. But uh, they train hard on their bodies, so they look attractive for dancing. The warriors look really strong, you know, they do a lot of weights. They do uh, a lot of performances, uh, practices. They're really professional. Cook Islands, though, it's like a hobby. It's a passion. It's voluntary. Uh, we often do it because we've been engaged by the hotels to showcase our culture. Uh, so normally we'd have a practice on Monday, our show would be on a Thursday. And you just do the next practice uh, on next Monday and then a show again on Thursday. Uh, at the moment for, for, for our group, we only do special occasions like uh, weddings now. It just got too hard to do regular shows. At one stage we were doing four, four nights a week. And it was just so intense, like, you know, and you got our dancers that play rugby, rugby league, they get injured and you only have like two boys dancing yeah, when yeah. you know the other guys are injured and it was just hard. So we're, we're taking it easy now. We ran our group for, it's almost on 20 years now. So we're just uh, taking it easy. But the main, the main objective for our group is to try and encourage young kids to participate and learn. So even though the girls are dancing, we also have a, a time where we'll set aside, where we'll bring our ukuleles and we'd just teach them how to play and then we'd have dancing again practice next week and then the following week we'd teach them how to drum so what we're trying to do is teach our, our, our performers to be multi-skilled so they can play the ukulele they can drum they can dance and they can also make costumes and that i don't see that without the other groups at the moment they're just the girls just dance the boys just drum and, and dance you get a set person that does all the costumes whereas what we're trying to do is encourage everyone to do everything 
So like, for example, if we have, uh, if we have say, seven girls that turn up for a wedding performance and uh, we only have like uh, three drummers, we'd pull that girl off to come and help us with the drums, yeah. you know, so you can like improvise. And it's a new kind of concept and no other group does it because it's just too hard. It's better just to, if you're a drummer, just turn up and drum. Mm. But to have to go the extra mile and having to teach takes time. It's a lot of investment, you know, you've got to bring extra instruments, you know, it's carting, lifting, setting up. And you have to have a lot of patience if you really want to go down that, uh, that path. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So are there many working drumming groups in Rarotonga at the moment? At the moment, there are five. Ta'akoko, which is the longest uh, group, which has been for 50 years. Uh, Akirata, which is just set up about five, six years ago. Uh, you also have uh, TV Māori, or there's about yeah, five or six. Yeah. Smaller groups. Uh, average group size would be about, say, 15 to 20. The big groups are bordering on about 40. Uh, and the biggest of all would be about 50, which is Varanui. And the reason why they can afford to have that many people is because uh, the show is part of their business. Mm. Varanui, they have like a daytime uh, uh, tour where they take you into the different huts to show people about their traditional fishing, how they use their planting techniques, uh, and then like a, a bit of history on the culture, you know, warfare. And then at night time, then you go in and you have a, you pay to, to, to actually watch a show for about an hour. And they also provide you with a, with, with a meal. And they normally try to cook traditional food so you get to sample the, the local cuisine. Yeah. But those, you know, those are big operations. So they perform three times a week. Yeah, right. So how can you tell the difference between a great drumming group and an average one? Um... Uh, well, very easy. <coughs> the first thing you look for is like the person on that small drum that I was selling you yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the takiroa. You can tell that if a person is hitting that, uh, you can tell that normally the best drummer would be on that instrument. And if you can keep that uh, the momentum going and everyone else is quite uh, sharp in their drumming, it's quite precise, you know it's, it's, it's good. You don't want too many distortions. You know, we don't want any forward uh, forward passes in the drumming, you know, like yeah, they all yeah. stop and someone else comes in after. Yeah, right. Uh, and you can tell because they all turn to each other, you can tell they're acknowledging they <laughs> made a mistake, you know. But uh, good drummers, are, the best drummers I would say on the island are the older, the, the adults that have been drumming like I would say between the ages of 40 to 50. And they've been in that culture for such a long time that a person could just hit a beat and everyone else would know what to do. Yeah. You won't even have to say hey for everyone to stop, they just know. And that's the difference between like, you know, working with people like that and then also drumming with people like uh, that are just learning or that have just been drumming for the last five to ten years. So the more familiar beats, would they be from more traditional pieces? Yes, and, and they've also created uh, some beats over time, but not too many. So what they would have done would have been either improved the original beat or modified it or added a few more instruments just to to give it a bit more, I suppose, to tweak it, so to speak. But very few beats have actually been recreated again that people drum consistently. It's just, it's just too hard. And how far do the beats go back? Do they go back before white people arrived here? Uh, yes, pretty much. Uh, that's why I said yesterday that if you look at the old footage about the opening of the airport, we often laugh at the, the way they were drumming and, and, and the way they were dancing because it just seems so conservative. You know, the women are dancing with long hula skirts that are almost touching the ground, mm. you know, because in those days you can't show a bit of leg, you know, whereas nowadays, shit, the skirts are so short, you know, and that seems to be the appeal for a lot of the tourists. And it's just accepted now. And, and it's also a reflection of the, of the, the changing environment. Uh, I remember when I was living here as a kid, uh, you didn't see that many tourists around. Uh, it was really unheard of to see a person walking down the, the main road with their, with their togs on, you know, just uh, like a, a swimsuit on, you know. Mm. Uh, locals, you never see them do that. You never see a local in bikinis. And as a result of, of a lot of tourists coming to, as a result of a lot of tourists coming to Rarotonga, perceptions have changed, it's now more acceptable. 
I know of, of uh, older ladies in the village telling to herself, you can't come and walk like that on the road with those bikinis. You know, cover yourself, you know. Based, based on Christian values, I suppose. You know, we were, Christianity was brought over many years ago. But now it's, it's, it's common. Yeah. You know, I, I think that social media, the internet, uh, a lot of our people travel all the time. We actually have more, uh, more offers or invitations to travel overseas, and we don't have enough people to, to take up those, uh, those offers, even if it's fully paid. So I've, been, I've traveled so much for culture, for sports. I managed the rugby league when we went to, uh, to Samoa for the South Pacific Games. Uh, in my job, uh, when I used to work for government, you know, I used to take delegations to China to the Canton Trade Fair, uh, promos in Japan, Singapore, Vietnam. Uh, and, and over here, a lot of our kids are always asked to represent the Cook Islands for soccer in New Zealand or Australia or, or you know, a school team to go to Hawaii. And there's so many trips, we don't have enough people. We actually have more jobs than people on the island. So if you look around carefully, you'll see there's quite a few Fijians here. There's a few uh, Filipinos. Yeah, right. There's Indonesians because we, we, we just don't, can't fill those vacancies. Yeah, well, I heard that you also have a lot of Cook Islanders living in Australia and New Zealand as well, yeah? We have a lot more Cook Islanders living in New Zealand and in Australia than we do over here. I think the current population for the Cook Islands is about twelve or 13,000. Uh, that's all the 15 islands in the Cook Islands. In New Zealand, I think it's about between fifty and 80,000 uh, Cook Islanders living there. And in Australia, it's about twenty-five to 30. Yeah, wow. They go there because of the incomes, you know, but... That's why I said when we actually toured Australia, you could tell the hunger. Mm. You know, they even wanted to buy our drums, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. And I said, yeah, the, the Australians got heaps of wood, make your own. <laughs> I would imagine that traditional drumming would have been hard for the Christian church to integrate into their teaching. Does drumming feature any way within Christianity here? Uh, there, there's a good book that if you get the chance, look, look it up. It's called... Uh, um, uh, from Cannibals to Converts. And it's a book, uh, I understand, by Ron Crocombe, I think it was, that wrote that book. He's uh, one of the renowned... Uh, uh, he married a Cook Islander that lived here. And uh, I think he's part Cook Islander, and he used to travel around the South Pacific as a professor. But you'll find that a lot of the other denominations, uh, they discourage drumming. Anything to do with culture is a heathenism, you know. So you, you'll find like the uh, Seventh-day Adventists, you know, they often frown on it. You know, you shouldn't be drumming, you shouldn't be dancing. Uh, you know, because you're like worshipping idols. Uh, I understand that that's also the same with uh, maybe the Mormon Church and also the uh, Jehovah's Witness. But the majority of people in the Cook Islands are, are members of the Cook Islands Christian Church, which, which basically like, accepts the culture. And they often use culture as a way of, of uh, communicating with the people, you know. And so, uh, you know, in, in, in some churches, culture has thrived. So a lot of our Christian songs have been uh, translated into Cook Islands Māori, where we sing in church. It's really interesting. Like a lot of tourists go to church because they just want to hear the singing. And, and if you go to any of the churches after church, they also invite the tourists to come and attend a free lunch. They provide like a lot of the pōpōs and cuisine that we have. And often, like, uh, tourists make donations because, you know, they're just grateful and appreciative, you know, of that experience. But some, uh, the Cook Islands Christian Church has definitely encouraged, you know, uh, the continuance of our culture. But other churches haven't. Yeah. And it's quite sad because you get some amazing performers that are members of the other church and they sneak away to come and dance with, you know. Then their uncles catch them and then they're not allowed to come back. And so we've yeah. been for that. Yeah. yeah. I should mention that it's Gospel Day today and I was just up at one of the schools seeing the elaborate reenactments which are quite grand. Uh, so would this be the religious day of the Rautonga calendar? I never missed any of those when I was a kid. You know, religiously we had to attend. You know, we had to, uh, they pick uh, parables from the Bible and they display it. It's just a way of celebrating Christianity on the island. I think that a lot of people often comment that the reason why Cook Islands has always been quite successful and successful in terms of, you know, in terms of if you compare us to like the other islands in the Pacific, our corruption is, you know, is not as rampant, you know, not as obvious. You know, people do have uh, some form of accountability uh, because you know, just the, the upbringing, you know, a lot of the families are taught really good values. I'm not saying that we, you know, we, that, that, that there isn't any corruption. 
they're all there is there's always corruption in any form of government but it's harder now like we would be one of the few countries where we've actually put our own minister in prison in jail and that yeah. that occurred uh, about uh, three months ago a minister of the crown a complaint was made about uh, against him for giving out uh, uh, for issuing licenses to a Chinese uh, uh, corporation and in return he received a, a loan on favorable terms well he was jailed for six months yeah right so like in, we don't have like uh, the problems that uh, you see in Papua New Guinea Solomon Islands uh, Vanuatu uh, a lot of people here are pretty uh, quite educated we, 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 we have the same system as New Zealand we often go to New Zealand for university uh, we can all speak English a lot of us speak our own language as well a lot of the businesses on the island are owned by locals you know like when I was in charge of the business trade investment board one of our major objectives was to try to encourage locals into business you don't see that anywhere else Papua New Guinea it's all owned by the Japanese or you know Malaysian companies logging companies you know the locals end up becoming just the employees whereas over here we actually own our own business so a lot of the hotels and motels that you see are owned by locals you know, so there's a bit of, there's a sense of, of independence, you know, of, 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 of being able to, to, to do it, you know, to, to, to be successful if you, if you work hard. Uh, which is, uh, and I, I suppose that's attributed in some way to, to the uh, values that we've learned in, in, in church. I mean, shit, I remember in the, the old days, in the 70s, I was a young kid then, but, you know, if a car's driving, going to town and you have hitchhikers going the opposite way, the car would stop, turn around, pick them up, take them to where they're going, and go back to church, you know, to yeah. town. And then they started noticing that a lot of the tourists were bringing in some some different ideals, like, you know, they'd stay, like for our, our family uh, motel, we started off with three units. They would check out early and fly away without paying their, you know, their account. So, you know, our outlook on people was like, gosh, you know, we didn't know that that's what they do overseas. And, and people didn't do that here in those days because, like, everyone knew everyone. You know, you, you wouldn't get away with dishonesty offenses and you'd bring shame on the family. So our values were very strong. You know, over time though, it's it's slowly like a, I don't know how to say it, but it, it's it's no longer as as strong as it used to be. But I believe that's as a result of the influence of the world. You know, mm. people are now going overseas and learning these bad habits. They're bringing it back. You know, but I think the churches has basically been uh, really helpful in terms of our of, of 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 the way we are today, really. Yeah, right. So, do the other Cook Islands have a similar relationship? to the church as Rarotonga does? Yes, he's even stronger. I mean, you know, I've, I've heard stories of, of, of a pastor seeing one of the villagers driving on his motorbike on Sunday. So he stops him, grabs the bike and takes it and throws it in the sea. Right. I mean, they're like 50 years behind Rarotonga. Mm. So a lot of the things that they, the, 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 the issues that they have in the Outer Islands used, used to be like that here in the 50s and 60s. You know, like they won't allow a, a boat one of the, the ships, one of the boats that uh, travel up to the northern group regularly to offload their cargo on a Sunday. Mm. So the boats have to time their arrival. And you know, if they're on a tight schedule because they need to come back to Rarotonga to catch the big boat that, fly, that goes to Australia or New Zealand, you know, the cargo that's supposed to be exported, they will miss out. So we've had all sorts of things in the newspaper you read about the island council saying, no, because it's Sunday, it's God's day and you can't work on, you know, the Bible says this. And yeah, yeah. So you have that extreme. But I think that over time you'll find that they'll slowly, you know, you'll find it wouldn't be so strong in the future, you know? Yeah, yeah. Those ideologies are slowly breaking down. Mm. So with a traditional art form such as the Cook Island drumming, is it difficult to start writing your own beats or do you have to go through certain protocols to get certain permissions and such? Uh, well, we don't actually write. We've never written anything, uh, any beats at all. It's just basically in here. I, I recall one time um, uh, doing a recording because I often, um, I'm often asked to, to compose beats for one of the contestants for the Miss Cook Highlands competition. I've been doing that for years. And uh, so I'd go into the recording studio and I'd put on the, the, you know, the headphones. I'd drum the, the, the big lead party and then he'll record it. Then I'll go to the bongo and I'll listen to the beat and I'll just add it in. So, you know, once the recording is done, it looks like, you know, five people basically composed the beat. And, uh, and I, I recall this guy that uh, trained at the music university in Paris uh, as a musician. And he said that he's never ever seen anyone that can just come in on, on, on cue. They need to have this thing. I don't know. He yeah, says, yeah, you yeah. need to be cued into it. 
And he says, uh, he's never seen that anywhere else in the world. But I said that it's just in you. You don't need a ticker or, or you know, to be cured. And you just know when to come in. And, mm. uh, you know, I've composed beats like that. I, the last beat I composed would have been, a uh, proper beat I composed would have been about three years ago when I composed the beat for a competition. So all the, the young boys uh, aged uh, 15 and under uh, from the different islands had to compete to see who could like copy that beat. And uh, whoever uh, was the most accurate would win the prize. And uh, it was sponsored by CITC and Coca-Cola. So you had all the, you know, they had about uh, 20 boys or you know, 15 or 20 boys in each of the groups. And they had all their drums there. You go, okay, group one, bang. You know, and I gave them the CD so they could practice learning the beats. Yeah, yeah. I might have it. I think I might have it down there somewhere on my phone. But uh, no one really goes ahead and creates, you know, like, as I said before, one of the motivating factors now is money, sadly. Why would you want to get involved in culture if, if there's no payout at the end of the day? Mm. You've got to have a family to feed, you know, you've got bills to pay. So you have a lot of really good drummers that no longer drum. They, they work for government during the day, and when they finish, they go home and they have their own subsistence uh, farming, you know, or planting. So they're either planting cabbages or lettuce or courgettes or tomatoes just to, to, to assist, you know, with the family income. It's, it's quite hard. Well, I guess you're quite a busy man as well, yeah? You work as a barrister? Oh, we do both over here. I'm yeah. both a solicitor and barrister, yeah. yeah. And you have your own resort? Oh, my, my father owns it. It's our family business. <laughs> and then you have a family. And how many kids do you have? Seven. Seven kids. <laughs> so how do you find the time and motivation to drum? I, I, well, I, I taught them all. Uh, my daughter, uh, she was actually the Miss, she was actually the Miss Cook Islands, the one in the orange. She was the first oh, one to, that I taught to, to, to drum when she was young. And so for her talent, when you, uh, when you compete to be chosen as the Miss Cook Islands, you have a talent question, uh, session. Eh? And what we did was we set up a stand where, it might actually be over here, we set up a, a stand where we had all the drums on it. So she would, you had the, uh, the party, the big party, and then you have the bongos on the side there and you have the big bass on, on top and we had a looping machine. So she'd go ahead and uh, she'd hit the party and then she'd loop it and then add in all the drums. Yep. And then she'd go, let's replay that together and let me see if I can put my hips to the beat and she danced. Oh, and then wow. she ended up winning it, you know? And it's the first time that anyone had ever, ever seen a woman, uh, 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 a girl drum like that. All the, all the beats, uh, here was, I'll see if I have it. Yeah, this, this is her when she was dancing. So she actually danced uh, to the composition that she had just done. See how we set yeah. it up? Yep. And this is at the National Auditorium. So out of the seven categories, she won five. And then she went to the Miss World and it was the first time that anyone in the Miss, uh, in the South Pacific has ever been selected in the, in the final 20. Wow. You know, and that, that, was, that was good for the, for the Cook Islands. And a proud moment for a father, I can imagine. Ah, uh, well. But I'm on the next one, so that, that's her. But she's finished now. She no longer, she no longer uh, is Miss Kukana. She just passed it on now, you know. Yeah. So we just had a recent uh, Miss Kukana competition about a month ago, and she's passed on the crown. Mm. But uh, no, I, I just, for me, the motivation is making sure that, that, that young kids know our culture. You know, by the time they turn 17, you know, then their sights are set on education, you know, university. And I want them to be able to learn as much as they possibly can while they're at this age. And I strongly believe that if you have that strong foundation where you know who you are, where you're from, what your culture is, you can actually hit all the instruments, play the ukulele, sing, dance. I mean, uh, they're, they're, they're less likely to get into trouble. Uh, you know, they, they, there's a, a pride that comes with it. You know, uh, I've had my girls, we've been invited to go to New Zealand in, in Auckland at the Pacifica, which is the biggest uh, festival in the Southern Hemisphere. All the Pacific Islands are participating. And we've often been asked to go on the main stage to perform, and people go crazy. They're throwing money on the stage, and I'm thinking, oh, it's crazy people, why are they doing this? But it's because they've been away from the Cook Islands for such a long time that when they see young kids like that, it gives them encouragement, like, oh my gosh, if they can do I'm sure my young... My, my, my granddaughter can learn that as well, you know? So, so, so we've been through that. We used to go down, uh, they used to invite us to come every year. They'd give us a booth for free. And because we also have a little factory at home where we make ukuleles, 
and, and, and parties. This is some of the arts and crafts that we make. This is what we make uh, at home. We, have, we make uh, souvenir ukuleles that we sell. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, it's us carving at home outside. We also make drums as well. And can people order these from overseas? Yeah, well, we haven't really got that far, you know. Just learning, I've just been on, being put on Facebook. When my daughter went to Miss World last year, she put me on, I still don't know how to use it. Yeah. You know, so we haven't really got to that stage yet where we, where we should be advertising online, you know, with our thing. So it's just really small. We often supply like foreign affairs because I have a friend that's in charge of the protocol uh, division. So when an ambassador comes from overseas from China or something, he'll ring me up and I've got a party ready, I give so they, you know, something small that can fit inside a suitcase. Mm. But we haven't got to that stage. I'm sure that if we do, we eventually get there, that we'll be getting a lot more orders because our ukuleles are unique. They're not the normal, typical ones. They actually have proper carvings on them if you had a look at, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I remember you saying how there weren't that many, if any, female drummers on the island before your daughter started and winning competitions. Has that done much to open up drumming to other women in Rarotonga? I, I wanted to teach them the skill that I learned myself uh, because I just wanted to I wanted to to, 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 to to give them as much as I as I possibly could you know because I know what it's like I've seen a lot of my mates that lived here and went overseas and never ever learned how to drum and when you hear their stories like oh, I regret doing this man I wish I had followed you to the practice God I wish I didn't go in you know should have listened to mum when you hear those stories, you know, that, that was a motivator for me. You know, get those kids learning. And of course we had to break those barriers. There was a lot of people that were opposed to what I was doing. But the reality is, you can't hold back the time. Like, uh, we don't have drummers. As I mentioned uh, yesterday, I, I came back from overseas in 2000. And I, I, I recall going to our first practice, like four months out from the big constitution celebration, which is huge. If you ever get the chance, buy one of the, the DVDs from the Ministry of Culture. It's only about, uh, I think, $30. And you'll see all the different islands with their drum dancers, and you'll see the different costumes. You can see a lot of energy and a lot of investment has gone into, the, into, into, into these performances, which runs for about two to three weeks. And when I came back, you know, we'd have 30 guys trying to get into the... To, to, you're only allowed 10 drummers. And they're all trying to get in. And like, you know, now, over time... Then it dropped down to about, there's only seven drummers, so we had to find other people to try and make up the, the team. Now, you'll be lucky if you can find three proper drummers. So that's when I had a big problem with my kids, because my kids used to help me compose the beats. We'll take it to the island that we were helping, uh, and then my kids would then have to train them on how to drum those beats, and then the, the adults can then take it to the, to the auditorium and perform it. But because we can't find any more drummers, we got them involved to start drumming. And then that's when every other group said, oh, no, because there's a policy that says that you have to be over 13 in order to drum. Well, I mean, they compose it. They can drum better than most adults, but they're not allowed to drum, even though we have a massive shortage. So, you know, it's just having to go through that, that difficulty. And I had about three meetings with the Secretary of Culture, who I know. I said, come on, mate, geez, change the policy. We all know that there's a shortage of drummers. Two years earlier, we had a set of drum, uh, these guys that are uh, a drumming team they had to ask permission from the Ministry of Culture if they could drum for two islands because they didn't have drummers. And now you're trying to prevent my kids from drumming yet when you know that there's a shortage? So they, they finally uh, relinquished the end. So what do you feel might be going on in their minds to want to prevent that? Well, I'll try and be diplomatic, but at the end of the day, the Cook Islanders uh, in general have, because I don't think they have the depth the very uh, tunnel vision. It's a, po it's a policy, so we can't break it. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, okay, let's handbrake this, you know, put a handbrake on this and let's review it. Let's step back and say, okay, well, do we have a problem with drummers? Yes, there's not enough drummers. Okay, let's just amend the policy right there and then. But it has to go for a full committee, then they have to type up a proposal, they must take the minutes, they have to get the consent of all the leaders from them. It's just pathetic, it's just too much red tape. I don't have time to muck around with stuff like that, you know? Yeah. I find it quite interesting that balance between what is traditional and keeping things the way that they've always been and then making things fresh and alive and progressing to keep people interested in culture. How do you find striking that balance? Oh, I could talk a, whole, a lot about that particular subject. Uh, 
I am often asked because a lot of people know that, that I don't mind helping in the community and I've been doing a lot of voluntary work for a long time now. So every time when we have the investiture of one of our high chiefs, you know, or even the lesser, the smaller chiefs, we have the, the paramount chiefs are called the Arikis. Under them is the Bataiapos and then the Rangatiras. Often when there's an investiture, they call me. So I'll get the drummers together. And I'll get, I, don't get, I don't take my kids because, you know, it's, it's a real traditional event and you don't want girls to be drumming for an event like that. So I get all my other mates who will be drumming just as long as me. And uh, I've noticed over the years that they have what they call a va'atutu. He's like the, the, the person that does the chants or the, the mouthpiece of the chief. And he's the one that does the chants as they're walking to the actual marae. Marae is like the place where you get coronated, you know. And the marae is like rocks that are embedded in the ground where the high chiefs is there and then his lesser chiefs sit around him. We have quite a few of those traditional marais around the island. But I've noticed over the years that the spokesperson normally is oratory. He, he remembers the history and the genealogy. So he's always quoting, you know, from great way back, you know, from whose father was whose father who passed the, the title. Now it's passed to this person, you know. Now you find that they're getting a piece of paper and trying to, it, it, it's, it's embarrassing. And, and uh, you cannot have a person as a vatu towards a person as, as, as a spokesperson for a chief that doesn't know the history of their title from way back, mm. you know, uh, and hasn't uh, learnt it. You can't have some, the, and like everyone's just freaking out, like a lot of the old people. But the, the young generation don't seem to know, well, they never knew that that's how it used to be in the old days because they're, they're a lot younger. And they're just thinking that that's just the way it is. But you're given a particular, uh, we call it taonga, a, a particular position, and you're supposed to carry that, 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 that position like professionally, and you're supposed to know these certain things. They don't. So there's even a breakdown in, in, in terms of the chief, the, 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 the systems of the chief. They don't even know their culture. They don't even know what they're supposed to be doing. You know, they're lost. And, you know, to be fair, no one has actually taught them. There's always been an assumption that, well, there's a chief and, and, and everything is fine. But as soon as the old people start dying, then everyone's, oh shit, what were you supposed to do? I mean, I, I'm acting for, uh, for the, the, one of the senior families that have, has held the title for the Paramount Chief in town here. That title has been vacant for the last 25 years because a lot of families are now fighting for it. Because with the title comes land, mana, power, prestige. And, 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 you know, I had to go to the Court of Appeal and we won our, pretty much won our case, where the decision made was based on primogenitor, which is the senior of the senior line. All the other lines were saying, well, it shouldn't be based on just primogenitor, it should be based on who's the best person to carry the title, based on merits, who's the best person that's been here, who's, who's contributed to the, to the community, blah, blah, blah. But you can't undo decisions, undo decisions that have been made for so many years, you know, mm. and the court is unwilling to do that. So already we're having now fights about who should hold it. It's not about holding the title and wanting to, to look after the people. It's about holding the title because of the money that's generated from the land that's in town. Yeah, right. So everything is now becoming materialistic. It's about money. What can I get, you know? So I'm the only one that has actually been doing this voluntary program where I teach kids. I actually, I struggled at, at one stage because I did this horrendous uh, program for six years where I'll take my drums in on, uh, at lunchtime on Thursdays. And then I went and saw all the other drummers and I said, look, can you guys give me a hand? I'll do like uh, one month, you do one month so we can share the load. And they said, oh, how much do you get paid? I said, oh, nothing. I'm oh, I'm really busy, sorry. So I continued doing that program for six years until the government's uh, cut that, 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 that program. But that's the reality is that maybe they couldn't do it because it's, it is a struggle. If you go into the shop, you have a look at the prices. It's bloody expensive. That's why Kiwis bring their own chili bean full of meat. Yeah. They can't afford it here. I remember when a small thing of bacon like this was about uh, $32. Now, for some reason, it's actually gone down, you know, so they must have been able to structure some deal where they can provide it cheaper. But things are really expensive here for our people. They get paid a lot less and they have to pay a lot more, more for things. So culture is now becoming second tier, really. It's not, which is sad. I found from being here, there seems to be quite a focus on attracting the tourist dollar. Is it hard for people to do that but without losing their traditional way of life? You're absolutely right. There's, it's trying to find the balance, which has been a bit of a struggle for us. Uh, every business on the island now is geared towards tourism. Uh, in the 70s and 80s, like the, our main export was uh, 
you know, our main uh, industry was, was agriculture. We used to export a lot of limes, uh, copra, coconuts, bananas to New Zealand. Uh, the reality today is that we can't even supply our own domestic market. No one's planting anymore. A lot of our people became educated and working like me in, in, in offices, uh, and the rest are uh, basically providing services for tourism. So we actually import like cabbages, tomatoes from New Zealand. We can't, we can't consistent, consistently supply our domestic market. It's really, really sad. Uh, I don't know if the stats have changed, but when I was working at the Business Trade Investment Board, from memory, I left there about six years ago, but from memory, we were importing about $350 million worth of produce from overseas, mainly from New Zealand. We were exporting about $5 million. So when the, ship, when the boats come from New Zealand, it costs us twice as much because you have to pay for the ship to go back. There isn't any produce that they take back, you see? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I don't think that much has changed since then. Yeah, right. Um, I was wondering, is there any crossover of traditional drumming with church services? Oh, you're not allowed to drum in church, by the way. But uh, they don't mind like if there's like a celebration to allow the, the congregation to participate in drumming, but there's no drumming at all in the church. Uh, it's always been quite traditional in the Kogana's Christian churches where they just have the piano or the organ. Mm -hmm. I think they're now allowing the ukulele and the guitar in, but for many years that we weren't allowed to do that. The only church that I know that started, that introduced drumming to their congregation was uh, the church that's right opposite the airport. The pastor is from New Zealand, and I think he's been pushing the boundaries. You know, I think that his philosophy is that, you know, God made the timber and the wood. Why are we now not allowing that to be played? And uh, I was asked to go for the first time to have a look and see what it would be, and it felt really uncomfortable because I'm not used to it. But I did say to my mate who asked me to come and have a look, I said, I don't see a problem with it at the end of the day. It's, it's if anything, any instrument that can be used to celebrate God, why not? Yeah. But it was just, you don't ever hear drumming in church. So for someone like me who's a bit old that's been through that system, yeah. looking back and seeing what's happening, it's like, well. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, there's worse things that you know, we, can, we can look at, but uh, I don't see that as being a major. But a lot of people will feel affronted by that. Yeah. A lot of traditional leaders will say, what the hell is that church doing? You know, they're there. You're not even allowed to perform on drum on Sundays. But the, 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 the cruises for the, we have a lot of cruise ships that come in on Sundays. So they uh, register with the, uh, the lagoon boat cruises and they, as part of their performance, they drum. So they're now drumming. So you can just see a slow disintegration of, 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 you know, of how it used to be. And, and at the, at, no shops used to open on Sunday. No one worked on Sunday. You never hear Lomo on Sunday. Now, some shops are open on Sunday. Lagoon cruises are running. You know, rentals are open for the tourists. It's gone the way of the world, you know. Mm. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but again, balance does come to mind. And you know, with the good comes the bad. Mm. I've had a lot of problems with some tourists over the years. Okay. Have you come across any non-Cook Islanders doing Cook Island drumming? Not really. Uh, I, I don't see it. Only I've only ever known Cook Islanders that, that drum. If there are non-Cook Islanders that drum, you know, it's because they're probably going out with a Cook Island girlfriend that, that, that dances, you know, by default. But it's not something that a lot of outside people, are, you know, would be keen to learn. And if they are, you know, you'd have to be close to a cultural group in order to, to carry out that arte because you need to have the instruments, you have to be performing regularly. You have to be composing. It has to be like a team dancing, you know. Yeah. I don't think it would be frowned upon. You know, uh, as a drummer, I, I, I actually like seeing more people. The more people that learn to drum, the better. There has been some concerns raised, though, by our traditional leaders that, you know, because apparently there was someone that taught a group from Vietnam Cook Island drumming, and so they started doing that. Mm. Uh, when I went to Japan uh, two years ago, I took a delegation over to attend the Festival of Arts, and we were invited to go to this, uh, this hotel that has hot pools in it. They were doing Asian dancing, and they were all Japanese. Yeah, and right. the girls are all dancing, and it just freaked us out. And they also did Hawaiian dancing as well. So 
I found out later that they engaged someone from the islands to come and teach them, mm -hmm. and they just practiced and practiced. The difference was that they were perfect in everything that they were doing, but they seemed so robotic. Yeah, right. There's an X factor that can only come from, I believe, from the people from that place that you can see. Like, mm. I've seen so many dancers over my time, and you can see the passion. There's just that flair, you know, as opposed to being perfect but robotic, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like they've been pre-programmed. Yeah. And, and we were like, like, wow, this is amazing, but easy. there's something missing. Yeah, right. Like that X factor. And, and, you know, if people are copying our culture, that's a bit sad because, you know, a lot of people in the Pacific are now drumming now because they know of the impact it has. I'll give you an example. Um, when we went to Pongo, for example, uh, the Samoans were doing their dance. At the Festival of Arts, they have a village, like this big traditional hut that's been built for all the different countries that participate. And it's an opportunity for us to sell our arts and crafts. Like, you know, Tonga, they had their tapa cloths. You know, Papua New Guinea had their masks, you know, their war masks and all that. In the Kogans, we had our ukuleles and our drums. Now, what we're supposed to do is perform so people can get to see it that aren't coming to the big, the main centers where we're doing our, our, our performances. And we had to wait until the Samoans had finished because as soon as we had the drums, people leave and just come straight away. So what's happening now is that every other country says, oh shit, the, the Cook Islands are uh, attracting the crowds, the crowds to come and watch their show. Let's, let's grab the instruments. So they're all starting to learn to, to, to drum now. Yeah. And, and I went to Fiji one time. I went there for work. I went to Dinero Island. And as I was passing this, uh, uh, we were looking for a restaurant. And I saw this big screen TV with Fijians dancing, Cook Island dancing. You know, and I thought, oh my God, you know, that's just, for me, it just felt so wrong because it was badly done. You know, uh, you don't dance like that, but they've got our drums there. And then I came in and made some inquiries and I found out that one of the hotels had paid for one of our drummers to go across and he taught them how to drum and he took a set of drums across that they paid him for. And, and that, that's the performances that they were, were performing. Mm. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't. I don't know if you call it bastardizing like a, a, a culture. It'll really freak me out to see Vietnamese people dancing Cook Islands dance when it isn't even like a unique or uh, it's not inherited by them. You know, it's not part of their core culture. You know, yeah, yeah. that that would that would be quite, you know, that would be a concern for me. Yeah. Like um, I wouldn't want to go and like take a Aboriginal culture and start making it as mine. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to try and attract tourists, it's just there's something wrong there. You know. And, and the only motivation that I can think of is money. Mm. And that's, that, that, that's just wrong. Yeah. Is there a way then that you might be able to blend cultures together? Well, what was that you were telling me about where the Cook Island drumming was used as part of a performance at a festival in New Zealand? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll show you afterwards, in fact. Uh, if you want any of these, uh, of these, uh, the footage, I can always get you. You can download it off, or I can uh, try and attach it. You have to show me how to attach it on email and send it to you, you know, because yeah, yeah. I think you have to compress it. But I'll show you later on after the interview. We can go into my car. I've got Bluetooth, yeah, I'll, I'll and I can show you the, the thing on here. But uh, yep. um, that was okay, but it was really Moa and them had actually applied for funding to see if we could like uh, showcase Cook Islands culture. Uh, to try and represent Cook Islanders in New Zealand for this festival. So they gave us uh, about two or three months to train these kids uh, the composition. So they'd come to my place and I'd teach all the 10 kids, you know, we'd be drumming it. And it was a composition that was composed by New Zealand. So they already knew it. So when we came in, we just complemented that beat with our drums. So they normally would have it on their percussion drums. So there'll be a part where we just take over. So they'll be playing the guitars while we're going in there, beat and bang, it's back and switch back to them again. And uh, it worked. Uh, it wouldn't strictly be Cook Islands culture because you can't dance to something like that. Mm -hmm. you, know? you know, the beats were just like there's no, there's no set like a uh, formation to allow for when when someone's dancing to move across it. You know, yeah. uh, you know, a dance, uh, a dance beat would be like, you know, it's segments. I think I have a little uh, thing here for, for Dante, but when you're, when you're composing a beat, you have to make it in such a way that it's full. So it finishes it, then, then, then uh, it changes, uh, the beat changes, so there's new actions. Yeah. So the choreography has to fit, whereas the composition that we had to learn for New Zealand was all over the place. 
You know, you, there's no way you could actually choreograph that to it. That'll be just too. That'll be just too hard. See, this is the girls. My girls practicing the dance as well at home. Okay. Oh yeah. So, there's a set segment to the beat. Yep. Those are the ones that were dropping yesterday. So I'm trying to teach them everything, you know. Mm. I guess these days you have a lot of young kids getting into other forms of music, such as hip hop, R&B, electronic dance music. Is there perhaps a way of blending some of the more contemporary genres in with traditional elements? It hasn't really been tried. I mean, maybe on really small scale, but I think that there's an opportunity to be able to do that. Like I've always been told that that if American bands ever discover like hook and drummers, they could really complement a lot of their shows, you know, especially with their instruments. It's a bit like the, the Spanish, you know, with their bongos, how often it's been incorporated into a few of the songs, you know, which, which has done quite well. Uh, if you were to drum traditionally for a cultural group, it has to be done in such a way. You can change the beats by including different instruments, I mean, uh, different sounding instruments. You could change compositions by from the tinny to the bass drum to the bongo, but if you were to try and incorporate it like in a, with a percussion band, it's going to be very difficult for performers to dance to it. Mm. It, could, it could probably be used for hip hop or you know, R&B music or like for you know, just normal disco music. Uh, that would work, mm. but it wouldn't be able to, you could never dance to something like that because okay. it'd be too difficult to choreograph. Because traditional dancing is set formations. The girls would come out and across. As soon as the beat changes, bang, they're like this. You know, and then they move across and the boys come through the middle. You know, how would you like do a be all over the place? It'd be just too difficult. Yeah, I can see how it'd probably be pretty hard with the dancing. But then, if there was another genre that wanted to incorporate the Cook Island drums, would there have to be a particular protocol that they would have to go through in regards to getting permissions and making sure that it was culturally okay? Uh, normally, like there are certain protocols that you have to adhere to. If we uh, perform like one of the, uh, the compositions or a song that was composed by one of our, our composers, you know, uh, we have quite a few of the, we call them Tongas. Tongas are the people that are masters in, their, in that art. Every time for our cultural group, when we perform the dance, a song that's been composed by, you know, by one of these, these Tongas, we always ask them if it's, if it's all right for our group to perform it. We've always been told, look, it'll be an honor for us to perform his song or her song. You don't go ahead and just take someone's song and just dance to it, you know. You just don't do that. And there are groups that do that because they just don't understand the protocol. But we never would. We would always call. In terms of drumming and you're experimenting and trying to see if you can phase it in with like different other types of music, or I just go ahead. The reason being is because you're creating, you're trying to break boundaries. Uh, if complaints come, you know, well, there's not much they can do, to be honest. Uh, it, 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 it pisses people off. The traditional drummers, it, it annoys them. But the reality is that they're not actually doing anything uh, in the meantime to try and, uh, and, and grow the culture or to try and contribute to it, you know. And it annoys me that these people were leaders in the old, in the old days. They were the leaders or the leaders of the drum team and then they just, well, once they retired, that was it. I'd like to see them contribute, go into the schools and try and help them do what I'm doing. No drummer said yes when I asked them, and I asked all the drummers. So what does that tell you? And they don't seem to see that the writing's on the wall. If we don't make a, a, a contribution now, we're definitely going to lose our culture. I give us 10 years. That's how bad it is. In fact, the drumming is so bad now that when they have the school competitions, like at the auditorium where they dance, they have to get the adults to come in and drum. And that, that's a warning sign to me, you know. How come they haven't been able to teach their own kids to drum to their own performances? So the, 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 the warnings on, you know, the writing's on the wall, but no one's worrying. It's like we're still just going along like, you know, just got nothing up there, you know. And I already saw this happen years ago when I first came, and now we're living the reality. And I, and I mentioned the, to, this to a mate of mine, and he even has, he's actually said to me, I remember when you said that in 2000 or 2001, you know, that, oh my gosh, you know, you're going to find, you know, we're not going to have drummers in 15 years' time. And sure enough, we can't find any drummers now. It's a real struggle. And good drummers. We don't just want someone to come in and hit around. You want someone that can really hit properly, you know? Mm. 
So you can't carry the beat if you don't have really good, competent drummers. So what do you feel needs to be done? Yeah. Nothing in the Cook Islands can, can succeed unless it has the political will behind it. Uh, if, I was, if I was government, what I would be doing would be making it compulsory for each of the schools uh, that, that uh, in order to pass you know, the, the, the exams, they must pass a cultural uh, components. They must learn the language, they must know how to drum, they must know these basics. In the meantime, teachers are teaching like uh, just, a, just an add-on. You know, it's, it's not a prerequisite, it's just one of those things that, you know, well, if they have time, then, then they'll do it. I was appalled last year because uh, for the college, the biggest college here, I went up to help them with their, their cultural competition because they have houses. There's four houses named after the mountains. And the house that I was helping, you know, I'll turn up with my drums and I'm busy. I, I do both. I do a lot of criminal work, land work, civil cases, you know, so, but culture is also a passion. So I've made a commitment to help in that, that regard. I turn up to the school with my drums, set it up. The kids turn up and I'm trying to help compose a beat with him. And then after five minutes, oh, I've got to go now. And then like a 10 minutes, oh, I've got to go. So I'm left just me, my son and a couple of other drummers. And I'm thinking, I'm giving up my time, you know. Lawyers charge $250 or $300 an hour to come here for about three hours. And then they, they can't even give me 15 minutes. You know, so they're kind of like, and they just don't see it. Anyway, to cut a long story short, we just persevered and you know we, we actually ended up winning the competition but what annoyed me is that just before going on stage about half of the boys pulled out because they didn't think we we're going to do well you never abandon ship when we ended up winning those boys that pulled out came to the to celebrate in, in the classroom that's been set aside for the different houses and I was just thinking to myself if I was a teacher I would have kicked them out I would have basically I don't want you in this group anymore go and go somewhere else but the teachers are just tolerating it. So you'll find a whole degradation of these values that, and nowadays, shit, if, you, if you're part of a group, you have to perform. You don't turn up, you're out, and don't bloody come back again. But they just take them back in again, so nothing happens, so they learn one thing. You don't really have to perform if you don't want to, but you'll still be accepted back into the group. But just everything is wrong about it. I'm just seeing just, you know, and, and I, I grew up at a time where, you know, you, you can't, when you give your word, you stick to your word. You make a commitment, you stick to it. The values today are just just gone right out the you know right out the window. There's no real, there's no real commitment or there's no feeling that you're leading someone down. I can even give you a, an example in the social scenes because I deal with a lot of these people that get into trouble. In our days, if you go out nightclubbing, right, and then you're drunk and you're, you're you're with your missus, you ask your best mate to look after her. He'll make sure he gets her home and safely, and he'll let you know in the morning. The kids today, you ask your best mate to look after your missus, he'll try and bang her. You know, you try and get her in the sack, you know. And, and, and I, a lot of assaults as a result of their mate sleeping with their girlfriend and there's no uh, honour now. It, it's just gone. Yeah, right. And, and, and that, that just, that bugs me. I've noticed that rugby is a big part of the island and the contemporary culture here. Would there be an equivalent level of commitment or lack of towards sport? Absolutely. I was the vice president for the rugby league for like 15 years. I just resigned early on this year. I just had enough because, you know, I can see the same thing. You know, just going down the toilet. No real direction, no vision. Uh, we'd select uh, players to represent the Cook Islands to go to Australia, for example. They won't even turn up for, 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 for training. And like, everything's fully paid. They want to be told that they're guaranteed to go, but we say no, we, we, we get a, a running squad of 30, we're picking 15, we're picking 20. They won't come unless they're guaranteed. We say, no, you proved to us that you deserve to be picked. It's, it's really, really bad. It is so bad because I believe that they're so used to traveling because, you know, there's always invitations to go either for culture, to drum or to represent the Cook Islands here. Or, you know, if, if they don't get in for the rugby league, they'll get in for rugby to go. Or soccer's always sending people fully paid. We just don't have enough people, so all the codes are fighting and competing for that one player. Yeah. And that's why it's also difficult for our, our performance because sometimes they turn up to practice late because they've just had a soccer game. Yeah. And then you know, on Friday, it's because of their rugby game. You just, and they play the sports at the same time, so they all play soccer, rugby, and that's why the Cook Islands are specialists at nothing. Too many sports. Yeah, right. What about the people who are of Cook Island heritage but might be living in New Zealand or Australia? Are they still allowed to come back and compete for the Cook Islands? 
I think that there is a, an international requirement that they have to be resident for a certain period of time. So we would, if we selected someone from Australia, they'd have to come back. They often stay with their aunties or uncles or family until they, uh, they meet that requirement. But uh, a lot of these Australian uh, Cook Islanders and New Zealand Cook Islanders have really got no, they've lost the culture, but when they come back, you can tell that they're eager to learn. They're always wanting to participate. So they do learn our haka. We have our own for, our, our, for the Cook Islands. But the reality is that you have to actually be living it to at least learn something of it. It's already a struggle with those living here because a lot of them, like, they, they, they look down on culture like it's, it's not a big deal. You know, for them, it's about, it's about uh, money, getting a job, I suppose, education. But I believe that you can actually be more successful if you have part, if as part of your education, you have quite a strong component in culture. Because culture also teaches you about who you are, where you're from, that you're unique, you know, that you're from the Cook Islands. You can't be a Cook Islander if you don't know how to sing or dance or, you know, I find that like, and I have mates that have never lived here, but they look even more Cook Islander than me, dark hairs, you know. They come back and they can't speak uh, one word of, of, of Cook Islands Māori, can't drum, can't dance, and yet, you know, they're, they're members of one of the chiefly families here. Yeah, I find that quite embarrassing. And I think they feel it too. All right, I guess to finish up and let you go about your day, uh, you've got some meetings and it's a public holiday today as well. Uh, what would be the best way for someone to get the best experience of Cook Island culture? Uh, I think that the best, the best way to really fully immerse yourself in our Cook Islands culture would be to come here when we have our constitution celebrations. You know, at the, at, at the Mona Sands Hotel, Beachfront Hotel, I've always told our guests to just visit any of the, uh, the cultural groups. Well, they're called Vakas, like Vakatagitum is made up of three villages. The village that we performed in yesterday, Natangia, and the other village, which is Matavera. Vaka is a canoe. A lot of our tribes are like described as canoes. So you like you have uh, Inuamanu. Uh, that's an island of birds. So that whole island comes to Rarotonga. We have our own tribes on Rarotonga that actually go and compete as well. Come during that time, you can walk into any of the, the hostels where they perform or to the community halls which they perform at uh, and they normally start performing four months uh, before the actual competition. Maybe come down a week before the competition starts. You'll get to see how they practice. You'll feel the energy, the investment, the people they are just, just really... That's, that's the only time I think uh, that you will see Cook Islanders at their very best because you know, the pride for your vaka or for your canoe or for your tribe, you know, is paramount. So you make it to the training and you'll be practicing like for five hours non-stop, you know. You may have a little break for a stretch and then you'll have a cup of coffee then back into it again. And you'll be going over your drum dance and repeating that drum dance over and over again. Uh, you, you get to also talk to a lot of the leaders in the group so that they can explain to you why they've designed the costumes a certain way. Uh, you know, like they'll, reflect, uh, they'll put feathers on so you say, well, this drum dance is about the birds from Artu, you know. Or they'd have the spears saying, this is depicting like a, the fight that they had with the other waka many years ago. Because there are a lot of uh, legends about how one tribe conquered another and, you know, stole the wife. And then as a result, they became partners in peace, you know, all that sort of thing, you know. But uh, that'll be the best time to, to experience our culture at its best. And people never, they will never stop you from coming to watch. You're allowed to come, but they don't often allow you to film because they don't want their items to be on, on Facebook before we even perform the, the, the item, you know, so. But apart from that, no, uh, it's a struggle. It, it's, going, it's always going to be in this environment. Uh, a lot of our young kids have easy access to New Zealand. And as a result of that uh, close economic relationship with New Zealand, with Australia, they have easy access to Australia as well. So a lot of our people have, that hold Cook and New Zealand passports are going to New Zealand and then also flying to Australia and they're now working in the mines. I mean, I have a lot of cousins and my sister works in the mines now. Yeah, right. And, uh, and, and so it's always going to be a struggle to try and find or invent new ways to encourage, you know, the, the survival of our culture. Mm. And the best way I've found is, is to invent new ways by teaching our, 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 our group to be multi-skilled, to be able to dance, to drum, to make costumes. So we actually go and we, it's, it's that tree there, in the corner there with the leaves, oh, yeah. it's that tree that you strip, the, you strip the bark and you put it inside the sea. You leave it there for two weeks and the sea strips away all the, 
the box so you can rip that apart and that's what makes our hula skirts. So it takes uh, about a month to be able to make the costumes. So we often get our group participating, we're cutting the trees and take it down and we have to put rocks on it to, to anchor it into the, the lagoon, lagoon. So we've done that quite a few times. Uh, just getting harder and harder now. Because, yeah. you know, it's very hard to compete against sports as well. They demand the time of our dancers and our, our members, eh? Yeah, yeah. But we're not going to give up. You know, we're going to keep going through and just... If we don't, if the government doesn't seriously uh, put money into this and, and make it compulsory in the schools, I honestly believe that we only have 10 years before we've basically lost a lot of our culture. That's the reason why I've been trying to work on setting up a, a Cook Islands uh, a cultural academy. And I've been trying to put a proposal to UNESCO to see if they could fund uh, an academy so I can bring in like our, our, our dogmas to teach them about how to carve, how to make drums, how to drum the drums, how to speak the language properly, how to do the proper chants. You can't just do a chant for one of the, the, the vakas without knowing the history of that chant, otherwise. You know, so there's a lot of protocols that have been lost as well. I hope to, to succeed, but it's been a challenge so far. Oh, all, all the best with it, and uh, thanks so much for taking the time to have a chat. No, no worries. All, all right. good.